Fireside Chat for January 18, 2023. We got a great show today, lots of exciting topics, starting off with the EOS EVM updates and upcoming launch. We've got Aaron from Graymask going to give, be giving us some updates on all sorts of things, Unicode, maybe WorthKit, maybe January progress update. We've got a Yield Plus December report to go over, hint, EOS DeFi is doing great compared to the to the wider space. We got a December report for the program and operations as well. We've got WordProof and other EOS case studies. And we got Chris Barnes is going to be talking about potential use cases for Eden style political playoff process. But before we get into all of those great topics, let me make sure you understand what EOS is and where EOS is at right now. So EOS is a layer one smart contract platform that is governed by its community and the only crypto network that had its foundation emerge organically from within the community years after the launch of the network. Last year, the EOS Network Foundation hit the ground running and established much needed funding mechanisms for the community. Finally, longtime builders in the EOS ecosystem had access to funds to build the EOS projects they loved through a variety of ENF funded initiatives, such as the EOS recognition grants, the Pomelo crowdfunding platform for public goods, the direct grant framework for open source development, the Aiden Community's consensus building process. And by the way, all of these EOS funding opportunities, except the recognition grants, are still available today. So whether you're new to our community or have been with us for years, we encourage crypto builders of all kinds, from content creators to developers, to take a look at the hashtag, the new EOS, to find out how they can get funded while adding value to the EOS ecosystem. On top of the funding mechanisms the ENF put in place in 2022, the ENF also hired some of the best devs in the space and helped establish a strong technical foundation that is now supporting exciting projects that are in full bloom. Some solutions that were recommended as the result of the Blue Paper Research Series are now fully implemented, such as the Recover Plus framework that protects qualifying DeFi protocols and the Yield Plus program that boosts returns for a diversified range of DeFi protocols. Um, that's all very exciting. And later in the show, we're actually going to review the latest Yield Plus monthly report that showcases the impact that this program has had on EOS TVL and its contributions to the outperformance of the EOS TVL compared to other leading layer one networks. Another big accomplishment last year um, that was spearheaded by the ENF was the successful forking of the B1 controlled EOS EOSIO code base to the community controlled Antelope code base. The Antelope Coalition, composed of EOS, That's WAX, UX, and Telos Networks. We're, um, we're also established and are now working together on protocol development and enabling new synergies, such as inter-blockchain communication between all Antelope chains. The, the new year is not even one month old, and we've already had big news regarding the eminent launch of both the EOS EVM and the Antelope ecosystem inter-blockchain communication. In case it wasn't yet crystal clear, EOS is in the midst of an epic narrative reversal, and the new EOS has the potential to become one of the most legendary crypto redemption art stories of our generation. My name is Stefan. I'm one of the co-founders of EOS Nation, currently a top-ranked block producer on EOS and other antelope chains. And I'm very happy and honored to be your host for today. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We're live on Discord in the voice chat, where you can, of course, 
jump on and share your thoughts in the show at any time. We encourage it. Encourage you to leave some comments in the text chat on Discord as well. We got some great images, some memes, etc. We love to see it. And you know, shout out to everyone tuning in on other platforms as this show is streamed live to YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. All right. So before uh, jumping into the juicy topics of the day, some a bit of housekeeping. Remember, state your name. And when you jump on the mic, it helps everyone with the context of who's talking, share some memes and pics in the chat, of course. And if you're out here in the community Discord with us, there are a bunch of ways to win prizes. So the pop token giveaway still going on. You can claim your pop tokens in the pop pop chat right now for those of you who are in Discord with us live on the fireside. We're doing monthly raffles. This month's raffle is going to go up in just a few moments here. I'm gonna be doing that live during the fireside and I will let you guys know when you can start minting those January raffle tickets. Our Road to 10K promo is still going on. We're up to 6,700 members in the Discord and with the upcoming Lunar promotion that we're doing in collaboration with some teams in Asia, uh, we may see a surge in members uh, in the coming week. So it's uh, time for you to get your custom invite links out, invite some people, Get on that leaderboard. You don't need many invites to qualify for some prizes at the end of the month. And of course, the Lunar New Year giveaway that I mentioned is now ongoing. We've got a survey going on for people to uh, fill out so we can know more about uh, the thoughts of the EOS community, get some feedback from everyone. You can go to bblk.io front slash ENF to participate in this survey and then um, earn some fun NFT prizes. And then there's gonna be a new survey next week at that same link. So remember to check it out this week and next week to get two entries uh, for these prize pools. And finally, quick note on the Everything EOS weekly report. It is now becoming the Everything EOS monthly report. So it's gonna be published in the last week of the month, every month moving forward. It's gonna allow uh, you know these reports to be uh, a bit more high level, really focusing on the big stories of the month and really allows outside uh, investors and people outside of the community to quickly at a glance, you know, get uh, updates on the biggest stories of the month in the EOS ecosystem. All right, there we go. That's enough for me. Let's get on to the topics and let's get on to uh, inviting some guests to join me on stage. First up, I think the big news of the week is the EOS EVM updates. Um, is Eve available right now? I saw he, he tweeted about the EOS EVM this morning, uh, wondering, Eve, if you're available to come uh, share some more updates and maybe drop some, some more news for us. Sure, and Zach is uh, here as well, so he can talk about that. Essentially, the, the big news uh, that, we, that we announced yesterday, um, or I'm not sure if it's yesterday or the day before, is that, uh, well, two part. One is the testnet. So the Silkworm testnet that we've been working on for a few months uh, is ready to launch and it is launching tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and that brings about much improved uh, performance to the um, to the EVM, basically. And so there's stats on that that, uh, that we're sharing. Oh, is that just, Got is him. that on my end? The robot was attacking us. I just lost my ears. Um, the I hope everybody else's ears are okay. Um, where was I? So that it, in terms of performance improvements, uh, it brings about uh, a lot of performance improvements compared to the current testnet version. 
um, and its Silkworm integration. So I won't get into Silkworm so much uh, in, in integration. What that means, essentially, just high level, better, faster, easier, um, and at the forefront of EVM compatibility. So that's a that's a big one. And as the testnet will be released tomorrow, the idea uh, there's still no uh, formal date, but uh, with the uh, with uh, me and 61 other friends here, I can share that the idea would be uh, that we'll be running the testnet for a period of about uh, a month and a half or so until we launch on the mainnet. So the idea would be, barring any unforeseen um, uh, you know, issues, that we would be launching on mainnet uh, maybe mid-March or something like that, mid, mid to end March. That's the general idea. So that's when EVM would launch. And then the second part, which is really what got people, I think, excited, is that uh, we will be, or the EVM essentially will be a public good and it'll be launching with um, the EOS token. So we had talked about one we talked about a long time ago that we were going to be launching with a standalone token that we'd be launching. Uh, essentially, there'd be a token sale, et cetera, that there'd be airdrops to token holders. Uh, for a variety of reasons, essentially, we've decided to do with the EOS token instead. Um, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much the big news. I don't know if Zach wants to add anything onto that, but essentially the user experience will be much smoother. The functionality will be more performant um, and it really will ensure that the value remains uh, within EOS. Announcement coming out tomorrow. So today you've dropped his Twitter thread. Uh, happy. We wanted to do it. So the testnet launches tomorrow. So that's when the announcement comes out. But we didn't want to delay it. Uh, we wanted to talk about it on the fireside chat uh, because there's a lot of details that we that aren't really going to be published anywhere. It's more conversational. If people have questions about what led us here, we could talk about that. Um, but this is a huge win. So just from my personal experience uh, working with the project. Um, when the concept of a separate token first came up, I was just like a lot of the people in the, the community. The first reaction is, why why would you even want another token? Let's just use EOS. And I was in that same boat uh, initially. Um, and then when you really start digging into the details and everything we were trying to do at that time, these decisions were all made like last March, April. Um, there were a lot of reasons for uh its own token. So one external capital, uh, which we have ENV now that kind of serves a bigger purpose. Um, but then there were other things of um, uh, the ecosystem itself and the token economy that was planned. So for example, um, RPC nodes, the initial, the, the initial idea was to, and I've explained it like this before was to, it was doing something that was never done before. Um, so, like it was essentially merging an EVM with a, a decentralized version of Infura, uh, where whereby uh, there would be incentives for read actions, which, which has never been done before, and that was something quite innovative. And the only way to really make that happen was through some means of incentivization. So it would require, unless we wanted to use EOS to do that, it, that didn't really make sense, and still doesn't make sense for that model. Um, the best approach would have been uh, the EVM token. Also for ecosystem grants, it would have its own uh, percentage for that. But th there was always this pushback from the community. And like I said, I had my own uh, initial pushback uh, on it initially. And I am so happy uh, that we made the decision. We listened to the community. We listened to the market. 
Um, we listened to the engineers. So, like, obviously, we're in January. We expected um, the product to launch in, in the fall, and that didn't happen, as everyone knows. A big part of that was added complexities. Uh, part part of it was token economy, but part of it was also complexities of um, putting extra horsepower into this EVM. So, like you've said, like complexities of Silkworm as well, okay. right? So, Silkworm right now is still very at the it's it's at the forefront um, in Ethereum, and the engineers internally have been contributing to the core code of Silkworm to even get Silkworm ready because it's not even ready in yes. Ethereum essentially. So, there's a there's a lot of play here where we were really pushing the boundaries of what we were doing uh, if we were adding that token. Yeah. So the Silkworm implementation, as much as like it, it delayed things a little bit, it is by far going to allow the the EOC VM. Now, I guess this is the other really important thing is we are going to be um, retiring the trust EVM name. You'll start seeing the different chats and social handles changing their names over over the next like week or so. But it'll it'll be just called EOC VM. We want we want to plant the EOS flag into this um, trust EVM as nice of a brand as it is. Never really established itself, and it doesn't really tie it into EOS. So you'll see uh, it, it explains in, in the announcement for tomorrow. EOS EVM is the name of the EVM moving forward, or just simply EVM if you're talking internally within the community. But with the Silkworm implementation, so Silkworm is the only uh, version of Ethereum that's actually built from the ground up in C++. So as everyone knows, like EOS uh, Antelope is also based on C++. You write smart contracts in C++ uh, for for Antelope chains. So it, it's it's already the fastest, but then it also has the compatibility there. But um, the other component to it. So I, I I started digging into the original idea for your token economy, and it would require um, a supply of tokens for incentives for the RPCs. Because our idea was the original idea was to have a robust ecosystem with at least twenty one or more uh, decentralized RPC nodes that that would kind of be bootstrapping the network. But what what you typically and that was to kind of fix some of the issues that we see with Ethereum, and that that's more like ninety um, percent of Ethereum transactions are pushed through Infura nodes. Uh, the market kind of showcased that they don't really care that that to use a different rpc node once you set up your metamask and you point it to an rpc node it's very rare as an end user that you ever change that unless you're jumping between like polygon bsc or ethereum like you only change the jump between chains you don't really change your rpc endpoints uh to, to pick a different R, R, like rpc that's not in Fira. so with with this move uh we are kind of removing the decentralized Infura component. Um, the ENF will run an RPC node to guarantee uptime of the network, but anyone will be able to run an RPC node. There just would not be um, an extra incentive, uh, I, I guess, inflation on top of uh, the, the cost. What is that noise? The, the cost of um, running the transactions, because who is that? It's we more than one person at this point. I just muted two. Muted Lennon, yeah. Yeah, I muted Simonson. So the, the, the general idea of subsidizing uh, node operations was that you would need 
like tens and hundreds of millions of transactions to generate enough fees for it to be a viable business model to run an RPC node. That was one of the, the problems we were actually trying to solve with the original token economy. And that's the reason why in Ethereum, 90% of the transactions are going through Infura because Infura is backed by consensus, early adopters of Ethereum. It's in their best interest to just run the infrastructure as they essentially run it as a public good. Unless you're uh, doing an incredible amount of transaction volume, which means your project is probably profitable in itself, nobody's really paying for for those RPC endpoints. It's all subsidized by Infura themselves. So the ENF will be uh, offering that same service. Essentially, we will be running the RPC to make sure that there's uptime. Um, and every time you, a user pays for gas, you're basically paying for the underlying resources on the native EOS uh, layer. But then you're also uh, paying for a little bit of RAM because the, the history of the EVM basically is stored in RAM. But then there's also a small profit margin there. And that profit margin is is to allow other viable businesses to kind of be created out of this if they wanted to run RPC nodes. And if there was enough adoption on the EVM where there's enough transactional throughput or not throughput, but enough transactions in general where it'd be viable to do it as a business, that would be cool because there could be a profit model there. But with the ENF RPC node, the idea, and we're still um, working on the parameters here, but any profit margin on resource costs will like, so it either be locked up and with no like usage uh, plans, or what I would prefer is a, a token burn. So it's essentially adding a burning mechanism to e EOS. Um, if, if we go that direction, I believe that we, we probably will. Um, and that'll be decided prior to the, the mainnet launch happening in 10 to 12 weeks. Um, so it'll add new mechanics to the EOS token. The EOS token hasn't really gained new utility since since it was launched. I mean, the, the utility is trying to change with PowerUp, but very much similar to when we announced uh, the idea behind the ENV. And the ENV has this concept of, okay, whenever a profit is taken, let's a couple years into a project, when a profit is able to be taken on an investment, those profits from the LP, from the liquidity from the LP owned by the network, which is the the, the fund with the 68 million EOS, any profits would be used to potentially do some mechanism. So very much in the same vein as what I'm saying here, it's 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 possible to buy back and lock, buy back and burn. And that, that was kind of the mechanism behind ENV. And, and that's still, um, I guess, up for discussion and up for an official decision, which is why I'm being careful with my words here, because none of these decisions have been made. I'm just saying what my preference is. My preference is always to burn. But other decision makers and legal and regulation, all, everything needs to be factored in for all of this. So I'm not saying that uh, the burn is 100%, but it is what I would personally prefer. So as part of the RPC node operations, there's a profit being taken on every transaction. And the, the general idea is that that profit could be used to either either lock it up or burn it. And that'll add new, it'll uh, be deflationary for the EOS token, add new utility for the EOS token, because now it serves as uh, EOS is gas on uh, the EVM side. So it'll allow people to transact using their MetaMask wallets, paying a small gas fee uh, for every transaction, which is what most people in Web3 are used to from other chains. But then an additional uh, value add that, that we're going to be launching with, with the mainnet launch is going to remove the friction of a, a account creation, essentially, or, or 
custodianship of your EOS tokens when you buy them on a centralized exchange. So typically, if let's say you're you just hear about EOS and you buy some EOS on Binance. Uh, if you have your tokens on Binance and you want to actually self-custody those tokens, you need to jump through all of the hoops that we still have as as part of our ecosystem. Like we're working on it, but you have to create the EOS account. There's friction there. We know there's friction there. Uh, you have to pay for it. Paying for an account is not something that is the norm uh, w- within the rest of the Web3 space. And it always makes it difficult for onboarding new users, even though there's other advantages to the account systems like the robust uh, permission sets and all of that. Um, but what, what this new contract will allow would be it would be deployed as a system contract on EOS and it would essentially act as a, a bridge uh, between uh, the, the EOS native side and the EOS EVM side. So whenever you're withdrawing your tokens from Binance, rather than having to uh, create your own account as is typical today, you would be able to send your tokens to a specific address on EOS, which would be the bridging contract, so to speak. And then in the memo field, you would put your public key uh, that you would use for, for an Ethereum address. And by doing so, you'd be sending your tokens to the smart contract on EOS, and it would essentially just be automatically bridging it over to the EVM completely removing the necessity of creating a, a native EOS account to self-custody your tokens uh, on the EV- EOS EVM side of things. So that's going to be a huge, huge advantage for um, onboarding new people into EOS. Um, they're not fully onboarded into native EOS, uh, but they're definitely one step closer. And then there's different layers that over time we'll be able to build on top of this. And when I say we, I mean the community through bounties, RFPs, or direct grants that are applied for. There's a lot of tooling. Uh, that could be built on these technologies. So, for example, um, uh, an, a, a front end uh, with a smart contract behind it, where if you have EOS tokens on the EVM side, that through a very simple UI, you can create an account. Because one of the points of friction for creating an account is you have to have EOS to actually create the account in the first place. And if you don't have an EOS account in the first place, you don't have EOS on chain. So the, uh, one of the things I would like to see a grant application for, so any, anyone listening to this, I would love to see a, a direct grant for it, uh, would be the ability to create a full native EOS account using the EOS on the EVM side to make it as simple as possible to be able to take end users from the next level. Uh, the EOS EVM is going to significantly reduce the friction of getting a, a token holder from an exchange on chain. But then to get them from the EVM side of on-chain to the native EOS side on-chain, uh, there, there's still some work to be done there. And that's not part of the scope of what we'll be launching in March. This is something that w- would be likely come later and most likely ideally from the community side. So just throwing that out there. But those are the core functionalities that I'm excited for. Uh, EOS has gas, added utility, uh, a potential burn mechanism, and uh, the ability to, make, to remove friction for creating uh, full native EOS accounts. I'll stop talking because I could talk all day. <laughs> but um, I, I would love to hear questions, actually. Um, because literally on, on this fireside chat, and, and the reason I, I, I want to include, um, based on this conversation, I'm, I'm wrapping up the announcement as we speak. And I would like to hear any questions that people have or extra clarifications that they're interested in, because then I could uh, better inform the rest of the community who's not on this fireside chat. Uh, with, with the long-form announcement tomorrow. Uh, 
I had a question. So basically, would any EOS token be able to be um, just by default bridgeable to uh, the new EVM? Yeah, so that that's always kind of been in scope. If you have EOS and you already have an e a native EOS wallet, there there's a trustless bridge to basically jump between the EOS runtime and the EVM runtime. So yes, 100%. But not the EOS, I mean uh, tokens on EOS. So that functionality, as far as I know, is not included in the scope for the March launch, but it is something that could be built. Any of the bridging tech that currently exists could be used to do that, uh, or a third-party bridge could be created, but it wouldn't necessarily be a, a trustless bridge So for transferring a, a different token. So th this is ex what you're asking is exactly one of the complexities uh, that using an e EVM token created, because with any EVM chain, you have your protocol token, whether it be Ethereum or Matic or, or BNB, you have your protocol token, then you have all the other tokens. And all the other tokens are essentially ERC-20s or whatever they call them for their brand of chain. And if we were to use the EVM token as the protocol token, which is the token being used for gas, then that would mean that the EOS token would actually become an ERC-20 within the EVM. And that created a, a lot of friction because one, it adds added complexity to the trustless bridging because then you not only have to be able to transfer uh, the protocol token itself, but you'd have to also be able to transfer uh, ERC-20. And it's definitely possible to do. It, it just requires uh, time and engineering efforts to do so. Um, so I guess the short answer to your question is no, not at launch. But yes, we'd be interested in someone building it. Yes, there's an opportunity there. And yes, I think there is a lot of value to doing that, to be able to send like your, your box tokens, your DFS tokens uh, back and forth between the EVM and EOS. Uh, but that will not be uh, one of the core functionalities at launch. The EOS token will be bridgeable with the trustless bridge, uh, but, but that's, that's the only one at launch. But I do anticipate that there will be others who build this or deploy their existing technology on it. So for example, like P Network already has bridges between EVM and Antelope chains. So they could very simply just treat the EVM as if it's a, 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 a traditional EVM outside of the EOS network, and their, their tech should be able to be deployed with, with relative ease. Um, and other bridges could also do that. So that way we could have a more robust ecosystem without just one official bridge and then no competition. This would allow other bridging technologies to deploy and exist. I also anticipate there'll be bridges, um, a lot of the most popular bridges today are EVM to EVM. So um, I believe multi-chain will still be deploying a, a bridge at some point uh, to bridge all of the other EVMs to the EOS EVM. Uh, so you'll still have that capability. And the reason that that's kind of the norm is it's just easier for the account ma mapping functionality because typically you have the same public key on both EVM chains. So whenever you transfer it from one EVM to the other, you don't really have to map an account. Whereas whenever you bridge from uh, an Antelope chain to an EVM chain, there's not a complexity because the accounts need to be mapped together. And there, there's risk involved of, if you don't actually map them with like an on-chain transaction that you could send it to the wrong address and your tokens are lost. Um, but I probably gave way too much detail on that. But any other questions?
one of the benefits was that no go for it i was just going to ask mel's question here that he shared in the chat go ahead and ask it i don't have it in front of me so mel asks is there a maximum amount of traffic volume the evm can initially cope with i would imagine it'd be similar to the uh capacity of eos and like we have ibc launching as well so like if we're thinking like very so right now yes the capacity is limited to the capacity of the eos mainnet itself but like if we're thinking like very long term and and with ibc right around the corner you can envision like an eos chain or an antelope chain but i'll be speaking about eos specifically here that can scale horizontally and if you could scale horizontally, you could essentially have infinite scalability uh, within EOS itself. So if, if, if that is the long-term future for EOS, then the EVM would essentially have those same benefits by being built on top of EOS. But for right now, it's limited by the same capacity. There you go. And actually, Mel had another good question that he asked earlier in the chat that I missed. Um, he says, at a high level, why would people use EOS EVM rather than any other EVMs? Where's the biggest draw? Is it speed? Is it reduced cost? I know we've talked about it uh, before, but maybe good to give a quick quick recap on, on some of the advantages of the ELCVM. I think the visual, the the swaps per second kind really of represents it. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> My God, people are having a terrible being attacked today. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really that performance and that cost. Um, so when you look at the performance with the implementation that we had, and, and keep in mind that chart that we're presenting is actually pre what we'll be launching. Uh, so what we'll be launching will even be faster. So if you look at about 3x gains from the current fastest, um, we expect it's maybe a little, um, uh, a little I'm not sure what the right word is. Maybe a little more. Maybe I'm I'm a little ambitious. But right now it's about three x speed. I'm ex I'm expecting about five to six x faster than the closest competitor in terms of swaps per second. Um, keeping in mind as well, one thing that we haven't really talked about, and it's kind of an alpha nugget, but I don't really want to get into it. The performance of EOS itself, so Antelope uh, and the latest version that we released uh, when we hard forked back in September. EOS itself has, has been increasing in performance significantly from what people know of EOS and the numbers that have been used uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, when I say significantly, I mean like really, really, really significantly. Uh, so we're working, one of the things that we worked on with OCI uh, early on and that we've been working on secretly in the background called a performance harness of being able to uh, very, very um, uh, concretely measure the performance of, of antelope uh, from version to version to see whether or not we're making things faster or making things slower. And I just received the numbers a few hours ago of the latest couple of versions, and it's, it's pretty insane. Um, and so keeping in mind that you know, EOS itself is much faster than what people even know uh, it is at this stage, because we've never really talked about the, the speed other than when the, the chain launched uh, with the numbers that, that we presented at that time and the performance benchmarks that we did at that time. But over the last six months, we've been doing uh, performance benchmarks in the background, uh, which will eventually become a product and will eventually uh, release that. But anyways, that's a little bit some alpha. So, when, 
just Go can ahead. I, one yeah just a is chris barnes talking uh just a question on when you the swaps per second for the eos evm does that when you mentioned competitors and it being much higher does that include the telos evm just thinking of the underlying tech being the same is this one going to be that much different or better than what telos has and and if maybe just a just general question what are the differences between telos's evm versus the eos one well, there, there still isn't open source, so there's really not an easy way to make comparables. Uh, they could do the same benchmarks that we did um, and compare. But without the Silkworm implementation, I don't see any possible way that it would be uh, the same. I don't know how much faster or slower, but I, I can't really speak to that. Um, our competitors are not Telos. Our competitors are Polygon, Binance, Avalanche. That's who our competitors are. So I'm, I'm not really, I can't really comment on that. So when, when we did this uh, swaps per second research, I've been pushing for swaps per second as a benchmark for a very long time before EVM was even in, uh, something we started. And the reason is because you see all of these different transactions per second numbers thrown around by every chain. And as we all know, a lot of times it's just marketing. Solana is the best example of that because they're counting their peer-to-peer -peer messaging uh, between their nodes as transactions, which is uh, kind of juicing up their numbers. But then if you look at um, their Neon EVM, for example, which is their smart contract-based EVM implementation, they're only advertising 2,000 transactions per second, which is much lower than, than what uh, Solana Native is showing. But regardless, transactions per second is the biggest like marketing fluff number you can make because it's not always an apples to apples comparison. And whenever you're uh, measuring transactions per second, you're typically just measuring the most simple possible transaction you could possibly do. And everyone does it the same way because you got to compete with everyone else and, and they're benchmarking. So it's typically sending the protocol token, which is less complex than like a, an ERC-20 token or an EOS IO token. Um, and it's usually just sending it back and forth between wallet A and wallet B as fast as you possibly can. And that is one way to transact on a blockchain, but it's the most simple form of transaction that you could possibly do. Where Antelope really stands out is in its ability to be highly performant on very complex transactions. So whenever you think of a DeFi transaction, it's much, much more complex than just a simple transfer token between wallet a and wallet b a DeFi transaction sometimes look, looks at a, a liquidity pool and measures uh how much depth's on each side it transacts a price there's a bunch of metadata packed into each transaction so it's much more complex and that's why in these the benchmarking that was done by dragonfly capital the, the idea behind their research was to basically promote solana they like they called it the they called Ethereum, the MS-DOS of blockchains, and the original research was done to showcase how much faster Solana native was in swaps per second than all of the other EVM chains. And, and as you can see, like some of these supposedly scalable EVMs like, like Polygon, their, their numbers in swaps per second are, are quite low for uh, a maximum of 95, an average of 47 swaps per second. That's the maximum that the, these other EVM chains are able to transact. Um, so when I saw, saw that, I thought it was really interesting to, to measure swaps per second. And I, I always wanted to find a way that we could use it uh, because it, it, most other chains, and this kind of ties into your question of what's Telos swaps per second. I don't know. They'd have to benchmark it and tell us. 
uh, or, or give us the tools to uh, figure it out ourselves. And we, we created our tools to benchmark our EVM because there's the same tools that uh, Dragonfly used essentially to, to measure theirs. And what made this uh, graphic really easy to make was that Dragonfly did all of the research for us because they compiled their own independent data on all of the other chains. So all we, we really had to do is benchmark our own chain. So I'd, I'd encourage uh, Telos to, to benchmark their chains so that they could publish those numbers. But whether or not I think that it'll be more swaps per second, I, I have my doubts uh, just, just because... I, I know how big of a deal the Silkworm implementation was. Like just in general, like EOS aside, Antelope aside, if you're looking at all the different uh, uh, versions of Ethereum, uh, there's not really a question of whether or not the Silkworm is the fastest one. I, uh, as soon as I'm done talking, I'll start dropping some links in the chat to kind of back that up too. Okay, awesome. Thank you. And just to be clear, I don't, I'm not trying to ask the question in like this competitive EOS versus oh, I, I know. Uh, Telos I, thing. It's more just... When we talk about it, it's good to know like what are the differences. So I'll ask on the same side because uh, I'm since I'm on the Telus Foundation, I can ask about if they've considered any benchmarking. So at least there's an apples to apples on that respect. But it sounds like the answer is the silkworm thing is going to be the biggest kind of leap ahead that uh, the EOS version has done. So that's cool. Yeah. So to, to bring it back though, I, I I do believe that the Telos EVM is probably faster than all of the other ones. So how much faster? I don't know. But using those same benchmarks. Like I believe, and I, I don't really have a way of validating this, uh, that it would be faster than like the BSCs of the world and potentially even the Solana native. I just don't have the data. But that that's one of the key selling points. So like what is different? Well, it's really easy to tell a story whenever you can tell it with the simple image. And that image is is gold. Um and we did those benchmarks pre-silkworm. So we we could benchmark it again closer to launch to to get different numbers, or maybe benchmark it uh, using uh, once it does deploy to mainnet to get an actual uh, benchmark of what it is in production uh, because it might be different there too. Uh, it might be slightly less performant, but still more performant than all of the competition. So it it'll be a, a constant focal point. But swaps per second is going to be the metric you're going to hear me talk about a lot because it's so different that. A lot of other chains that claim to be the fastest, they don't have an answer for. The only way they could say that they're more performant is if they benchmark it themselves, and most haven't yet. I want to make it uh, a more mainstream benchmark. I'm going to be repeating it until people get sick of hearing swaps per second, because I think it's a better benchmark than transactions per second, because it is more applicable to how people use a blockchain than just swapping a token between Wallet A and Wallet B as fast as you possibly can. And so, Mel, Mel, to answer your question, yes, this is one of my favorite parts about this token model with EOS is, yes, the ENF will be driving uh, the marketing for the EVM because it's part of EOS. It's a public good on EOS. So that was one of the benefits of having uh, the other team would be like, it's kind of like duplicate. You have another marketing team. But um, I, I love talking about this product. I'm very happy that it is now going to be in Patty in my, uh, my wheelhouse uh, within the ENF as one of our marketing products and initiatives. So yes, we will be the ones marketing it. We're in the process of getting our, our landing pages set up on, on our domain. 
our block explorer moved to our domain. So you'll start seeing a, a lot more of these things come to life. There's there's going to be a little bit of a transition period from the trusty VM side to us. Um, but we'll be rebranding everything and moving it all over to, to EOS, and we will be leading the marketing. I just got one other question, if it's okay, on the, just the EVM Silkworm piece. I'm, I hadn't heard of this, so I'm looking it up. And is there any dependency on the EOS utilization of Silkworm, or is it basically taking that code and sort of forking it and working with it? And the other reason I ask is because I might be on the wrong piece, but it, it, on the GitHub, in the readme, it's maybe I'm on the wrong one, but it says it's still under active development and hasn't reached the alpha phase yet. But perhaps that's kind of doesn't affect the EOS implementation. Like you've mentioned, we are on the bleeding cutting edge. So a lot of the delays, like delays are never fun to talk about. So everyone saw that like original launch date of October passed and we started publishing the project uh, spotlight reports uh, through our operations team and communicating all of those. And it was very transparent that there were red boxes on the EVM. Part of part of some of the delays were because we literally had to wait for Silkworm to release more features and, and more pieces to it to make it usable for our specific use case. And as you've also mentioned, some of our own engineers ended up contributing code to the Silkworm repo to, to push it across the finish line to where we needed it to be so that we could launch our EVM. And to answer very specifically as well, um, so Silkworm is, is a large integration. There are a lot of pieces in there that we're not using uh, for our particular use case. So the components that are relevant to us are not in alpha stage, and uh, there is no dependency there because it's components that we created. Um, so we we pushed those components that were would be useful for us. We wrote that code. We mean the the, the team, not me personally. Um, and so we we actually the the ones that that pioneered that that pushed that. So it's not all of Silkworm that's being used. It's certain components of it, and those components um, are. Um, Actually, some some of them, for example, Kevin from OCI, Kevin Hefner from OCI, uh, rewrote and fixed because we also found bugs in their code, uh, and we ensured that basically what would be um, you know launched on EOS would be uh, to a certain degree, I guess, within our control. But yes, this is an active, ongoing project, and we're contributing to it as well because it's it's useful for everybody, as is, as is our, our motto, or I guess I keep hearing that sound. Um, internally for everything that we do is open source. So that extends outside of EOS as well. So if we're contributing to other repos, uh, we do so in an open fashion um, externally as well. I see B. Andrea in the chat says, will Rex somehow benefit from EOC AVM? You know, it, it's power up. Like there's resources being used. Every transaction happening on the EVM is being powered by EOS. So. That's kind of the benefit to Rex. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, there is a, a token model for incentivizing RPC nodes. And th that little bit of profit margin on every transaction, it won't go to Rex. As I mentioned, it'll either be locked up or it'll be burned. So that's the benefit to EOS. It could, it's either way, whether it's locked up, if there's no purpose for it, it just kind of sits it's out of circulation. So either way, it's deflationary. So that's kind of the benefit. So rather than distributing the profits to everyone staked in the RECs, it's just kind of burning the profits or removing them from supply. So that over a long period of time, especially with uh, more adoption, then you're actually reducing the supply uh, of EOS. There would be two folds there. Um... 
Zach, it would be the the resource on the EVM side being consumed, and then there's a there's you still have to push it on EOS, which then there's also resources on the EOS side. So if there's a lot of transactions uh, being pushed on EVM, you have a sort of a double double fee being collected, the EOS side and the EVM side. So if the EVM side is being burned, there's also uh, fees being collected on the EOS side, which goes to Rex. So it would kind of be a burn and going to Rex model. So kind of like a double fee collection. Yep, mm -hmm. that, that, was, that was always the case. So like going, I don't want to really talk too much about the EVM token because it doesn't exist and it won't exist. But the general idea was that it was always going to be using EOS resources underneath it. But that was like a lot of the pushback. It, was, it just wasn't really understood, and we had to constantly re-explain it. So that's why I'm so happy that we're just EOS as the native and only token. So happy about that because it's, it's just even more crystal clear that it, it's leveraging EOS. It's benefiting EOS. EOS resources uh, utilization will go up. So very happy. Um, if the, the utilization goes up, will it also kind of increase the, like, the cost of it, like for example, RAM and stuff like that. Hopefully, I mean, in my opinion, this is my personal opinion. EOS resources are almost too cheap. Too cheap, yeah. Like you could literally double the price of EOS, and it would still be cheaper than almost every other chain. So I, I it will like, will you notice on on your day to day usage? No, because it's already so cheap that you can't even really calculate it so to just give an example i'm powering up over 500 eden accounts uh using uh eos power up.io from my my uh eden account that was part of my campaign promise for the recent election and i'm burning like at maybe five eos a day and i was expecting to be spending like 15 to 20 just to be on the safe side per day Literally with all of the transactions, and maybe it's because not a lot of people use their Eden accounts for day-to-day -day transacting, but I'm powering up over 500 accounts and, and barely spending a couple of EOS per day to do it. That's how cheap EOS is. And that's one of those... Is it possible that like, in the long run, EOS EVM becomes so dominant that it kind of makes it hard to like run anything on EOS? Natively. Yeah, EOS has a really stable pricing mechanism, so it, it it would it would take a lot of usage to really drive up the price significantly, um, and that's one of the the benefits of uh, of Power Up is it does bring a lot of stability because the entire resources of all of EOS are being sort of allocated, um, whereas let's say on other chain like and other Antelope chains like let's say uh, for Wax you need to stake resources, which is which is a different model than what EOS has. But it requires a lot more stake uh, to, to do transactions, whereas on EOS, the entire chain's capacity is sort of allocated to power up, which makes it much, the resources are much more like normalized. Uh, so if there's a two or three X increase in transactions, um, it's really not that much more expensive. Um, so I don't see EOS being uh, like an Ethereum where you're spending $20 per transaction. Um, you're, we're probably going to be always in the micro pennies, you know, sub penny transactions at all times. Um, and I think the EVM transactions will be slightly heavier just because it's a little bit more computation than a standard EOS transaction. But again, we're, we're going to be, I think EOS on the EVM side will definitely be very competitive uh, relative to Polygon, Arbitrum, all the sort of second layer uh, EVM solutions. So 
I'm pretty sure an EVM-based transaction on EOS will be sub-penny or a penny at most. And it will be like that for a very long time. That helps to answer that question. The, the only reason I ask that is because uh, since I'm like with the the effect DAO, the one the biggest appeal of EOS was the the power basically the power basically can subsidize so that people don't have to pay for transactions because if you do a task that's one cent even yep. a sub cent price all the difference for using EOS over any other like uh, current EVM uh, so I wouldn't want necessarily EVM to become so dominant that it becomes too expensive to do this on EOS but uh you may it sounds like it basically would need a lot of usage to ever come to that yeah it, it would really need a lot of usage on eos right because evm is would kind of be priced based on the sort of average resource cost of eos so you would need to raise like a lot of usage on eos in terms of power ups and stuff like that um and how the power up model works is it's a, it's a reset on a daily basis so the average if you have a big spike one day, tomorrow, that, that usage has to either continue at the same pace, but usually what happens is if there's a big spike, maybe a, in an hour or a six-hour spike, well, tomorrow it's back to normal again, and then you'd have to kind of re-spike it again. Uh, so it would, it would require tremendous amounts of cost uh, and fees to drive up the price of EOS. Uh, Just to yeah. add to that, Benny, we, we had done research on the metrics of other chains of, yeah. of um, how much usage there are on other chains for EVM. And if you took all EVM transactions of all chains combined is what we were measuring against. So like, let's say 100% of all EVM transactions now suddenly move to EOS because EOS is so great and everybody wants to do it here instead. Um, we were benchmarking it so that the tr cost per transaction would still be less than a penny per transaction. Totally. So it's it's nowhere near it being able to raise any kind of um, significant cost for a transaction. Um, and that's if all EVM transactions in existence ported over uh, at any given time. Plus, like Denny said, uh, because the power-up model resets every 24 hours, it the, the system is completely different. So it's really not the ADOS days um, if you're if you're if you recall those, the underlying resource model of EOS has been completely revamped a few years ago now to be able to prevent even that type of um, increase in or price spike to even happen if there was a tremendous amount of volume. Yeah, we really are talking about like sub penny transactions right now, um, and at at most, uh, even if it was a penny transaction, it's still far more compatible. Uh, uh, competitive than anything else out there. The, the issue is not so much the cost. The issue is attracting uh, people to transact on the network, not so much uh, the, the the cost side of things at this stage. Yeah, and I can I can elaborate also on the on the ADOS sort of attack vector, which was open, let's say the the few years back. Um, it was because what happened is that as soon as you purchase a lot of resources in the Rex model is you would have those resources for the, for the entire 30 days. So what will happen is that the attacker would allocate all these resources on day one, and then they would, they would have 30 days worth of resources. Uh, and then the next person would have to buy and purchase resources afterwards, which would be a little bit more expensive. So how PowerWhip works is if you raise up the price of the resources, 
the next time you keep purchasing, it kind of keeps raising the price, which makes the attack much more complicated, much more expensive um, every time that the sort of floor gets raised. Um, so you would only be able to do it for a very short period of time. And if you continue and sustain that sort of quote unquote attack, that resource attack, you would just have to be spending a lot of money uh, because every day the floor of those resources would increase and increase and increase. Um, whereas with Eidos, they had that for 30 days, right? They had the, the discounted resources on the day one and they, they were able to leverage those resources for the, the entire 30 days. And then it got renewed and then the price got more expensive. They had to stop. So this would be a very short period of time. That helps with the Eidos. But it, it really comes down to performance and cost. So I think uh, EOS is really well positioned to be a, a very high performance, cost-effective EVM-based chain. And all the other EVM chains that will be Antelope EVM as well. Is there any other questions related to EVM? Great question so far, everyone. Loving it. Well, I guess we can go on to our next topic. Uh, still got lots lots of topics to cover, hopefully in the next one hour. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to go uh, another four hours this week on the far side. Uh, but Aaron, are you around to give us some, uh, some gray mass updates? I am. And I've been talking for about four hours already today. So if I get rambly or if people have questions, feel free to interrupt me. <laughs> Sounds good. Give us the, uh, yeah, give us the updates. Yeah. So we wanted to jump in today to talk about a feature that we've been working on for a couple months. Well, we started like maybe last summer or fall on um, Unicove, which if you don't know what Unicove is, it is the web wallet that we're building that kind of assumes a lot of what you'd expect out of Anchor and then keeping Anchor kind of more of the authenticator. Um, we've really been pushing that for a while, well, kind of on the back burner, but the idea is to push it as an onboarding tool. Um, we started it off just as a generic web wallet, tried to build the interface as easy as possible to do you know, token management, send and receive, do your resources, the very basics. Uh, last year, I think it was, through both Eden contributions and I think Pamela, we may have had some pitching here for this. Uh, we did the account creation stuff to try to ease some of the you know, purchasing and getting EOS accounts. Um, directly through the website, you know, again, taking Unicove and trying to make it someplace where you could go to get started. And what we soft launched last week and we announced today is now that we've partnered with Banksa and you can actually purchase EOS tokens through Unicove. Again, one of those features that, you know, like, what do people that are new to this ecosystem want to do? Um, the cores being, you know, I want an account and I want tokens. And now we kind of have those things in place. There's still a lot we need to do with Unicove, but this is a pretty good step forward for it. Um, we've tested it out ourselves. Uh, depending on where you're at, there are different levels of KYC. You have to go through Banks' processes to you know, make a purchase. They uh, 
they operate in a pretty tremendous, like a large amount of countries. Um, I don't have a list in front of me, but their website would probably have more information on that. Um, and it's all processed by them. They were a good team to work with. Uh, if you've used Atomic Hub to purchase things with Fiat, that is their partner as well. That's kind of how we made this connection. Um, so shout out to team at Atomic Hub for connecting us and helping put this together. Um, yeah, we put the blog post up. I see it in chat. We did a podcast about this that we kind of talked about Unicove and its future. Um, it's it's one of those projects that we're really passionate about, and it has unfortunately just kind of it doesn't get as much attention as I really would like it to. Um, but it's still just got a tremendous amount of potential. We're going to continue polishing it. And hopefully, you know, if there is a point in time in the future where we get even more implemented, it'll be, where do I need to go to get started with EOS? You could point somebody there and it'll be able to facilitate that all of the types of activities they need to be able to do to get started. And then from there, they can go off and, you know, explore the vast ecosystem um, and all the apps that they may want to use. So kind of the big update today and why we wanted to jump in. All right, that's wonderful, uh, Aaron. Love, uh, love that you guys have the ability to purchase tokens. Uh, what kind of what kind of limits do customers have when they're trying to uh, purchase WAX or EOS tokens? It's uh, a good question. I know the lower bounds, like you have to purchase at minimum fifty dollars. I believe at least that's what it showed me when I was trying to use USD. Uh, I don't know if that's different in other currencies. Uh, as for the upper limits, I don't know to be honest. Um, I'd have to look that up or. Try, <laughs> you, but I know guys. it's. A... We need some people to buy a lot of EOS tokens for Unicode <laughs> to find out what the max is. I expect to know by the end of this fireside, right? No, no KYC is up to eight thousand USD, and I think if you KYC up to thirty thousand a week, I think from the. <laughs> well, that's a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a lot get... higher than I was expecting. I mean, that might be just the yeah the upper limit from their platform. I don't know if. If, uh, yeah, 8,000 non-KYC, 30,000 KYC per week. Wow. What I can we read. Can, we, we can only buy 30,000 uh, of altcoins per year in Canada through our, our main exchange now. Canada, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, that's great. Good job. Uh, good job, Graymas and Unicove and Anchor. And love it. Love it. We're... Uh, we're promoting Anchor heavily this week um, to uh, the Chinese crypto community, community actually through the Lunar uh, promotion that we're uh, we're running with the ENF. So uh, we're going to be um, in cooperation um, with some teams in Asia, using some of their connections to to promote this contest to people that are outside the EOS community. So we've kind of been uh, working on what's the best process, you know, to onboard these users. Uh, Asia was I was a uh, using token pocket a lot in the past, but that's kind of been changing apparently. And so now we're focusing purely on anchor EOS support. Shout out to them. They're going to be helping us with this promotion as well. So it's a nice, nice, uh, nice cooperation going on, you know, between our team, the ENF, the gray mass EOS support kind of all working together to make sure that this onboarding process to potential new, new users next week 
uh, is as smooth as possible. But, uh, yeah, Long road. For, uh, thanks for coming on, Aaron. Uh, did you want to share some, maybe a few words on some other updates? I know you guys posted a Wharf Kit update recently, and then also a January progress update. I haven't had a chance to uh, look at those. I don't know if that was covered in your update already. Yeah, sure. I mean, I can touch on those. Um, I just want the Unicove thing was why we wanted to jump on today uh, specifically, but I'm always happy to talk about where the other projects are heading. Um, our January update went live. It's on our Medium blog, which you can get to through graymass.medium.com. Um, we talked a little bit about the updates that are coming to Anchor. Uh, we're still working on it in the background and getting some good updates in place, some like foundational changes. One of the big ones that we talk about in the post is localization. Uh, the mobile versions of Anchor and arguably the desktop as well have always just been English, and that makes it hard for non-English speakers to be able to use it. So we've been working over the past three or four months now to implement the ability to support multiple languages. And the Android version looks like it's going to be the first one to cross the finish line. Um, no set release date on that yet, but uh, we do have the entire app translated into Chinese already. So when it is released, it will be uh, available in Chinese and we'll be looking to support other languages as well. Um, the iOS version, I believe, is also fully translated, but there's some... <laughs> if you're using iOS 15, it just defaults you into Chinese, no matter what you do. So we have some bugs that we're still working out on that end. Um, I don't even remember what else was in there. But there's some quality of life improvements that are coming to Anchor. Like, we're really trying to polish the experience, try to make Anchor do one thing and do it well. Like, it needs to keep your account safe, and then it needs to let you use your account. Um, but, you know... Unicove is the one that's getting the features like token purchases and send and receive tokens. And you'd use Unicove like you would any other app with Anchor. Um, beyond that, the desktop client, uh, we've still been doing research on what's coming next for that, uh, exploring technologies to use for that. And the bulk of our effort right now is going into Wharf. Um, we just had a call two hours ago that just ended two hours ago with the second release of the session kit. Uh, there have been some developers that have started adopting it and starting to play with it. Um, we are doing research on the UI layer right now and what the best technologies to use for that are. Uh, we think we have a pretty solid approach, but need kind of to prototype it out before we go into production. Um, so that's been a big part of it. The Wharf website uh, is coming together. It's going to be a pretty nice onboarding experience for new developers looking to come in and build an application on any Antelope blockchain, including EOS. Um, and we're starting to experiment with like video and audio and other formats for conveying information. Um, that's happening in Anchor right now. You may see some guides in that format in the near future. Um, but we're also kind of playing with the techniques to do that to then be able to also apply it to Wharf and, you know, teach developers about building applications in this space. So we are juggling all the chainsaws right now. And, uh, it's so far we haven't cut anybody's arm off. <laughs>
Awesome. Yeah, we're um, on our team here. We're very excited for the Chinese language support for Anchor. Like I was saying, we're, we're going to be pushing Anchor more here for our Chinese community. So that's, uh, that's great timing. Hopefully, uh, ho hopefully you guys get that rolled out uh, yeah, as soon as possible. Yeah, we've had a, actually a couple teams just randomly reach out to us about it recently. And our answer is like, you know, we actually are working on that right now. And it's been good reinforcement that like this is the right direction to go. Like we need this to be available in any language that we can easily support and is justifiable. Um, but like this is a global community and we have awesome products, so let's expand it. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for jumping on, and sharing uh, sharing some updates. Yeah, no problem. I have a question for you, uh, Aaron. Yeah. Before you were using, I think, are you still using the Shopify endpoint for your uh, account creation, or have you switched to that? Uh... We are still using Shopify, and now that we have this kind of token purchasing thing out of the way, that is a relationship we'd like to explore with Banksa, is potentially using them for account creation. Because how mm. cool would it be to bundle account creation with token purchases? Yeah, yeah, that would be... Cool. Yeah, that's that's looking forward, and we'll we'll look into the banks. So maybe I'll, I'll pick your brains, or I'll I'll see if uh, if you have any advice on the implementation for the API. Because I know we we were uh, uh, doing that with NFTs, and now that uh, Shopify does not allow NFTs or crowdfunding platforms to be listed on their platform, so we've been uh, we've been delisted from from Shopify as a Canadian entity. Yeah, I mean, Banksa might be a great option to go or like look, to look into. So, yeah, I'll look into it as well. Thanks. Yep. So, so yeah, Shopify does support Canada. They just don't support specific crypto businesses. So, if you are an NFT business, uh, banned. If you're a crowdfunding platform, banned. If you're a lot of things, you're probably banned. Um, if you're selling little trinkets, you're probably good. So, you have to be a very specific company for Shopify. Uh, they kind of don't like to take a risk. Um, but if you're in the US um, and you pay them $10,000 a month to be like on their Shopify premium package, you can probably get away with it. Oh, and I just realized we use Stripe. We don't use Shopify. Uh, maybe, maybe we need to look into so, Stripe. Yep, another potential option. But uh, I know the U.S. has uh, better programs. Um, so a lot of a lot of the U.S. Uh, programs are kind of more innovative in terms of like forward thinking. You know, they allow NFT businesses. But for any country that's non-U.S., for some reason, the rules are just much harder. So same thing with Europe. Germany has the most the strictest rules for any payment processing. So um, yeah, if you're in the those niche areas nfts or crypto um the us for whatever reason is probably the best country for innovation strangely yeah great i'll uh we'll look into baxa and uh, we'll, we'll give you a we'll let you know how that goes awesome
right, let's uh, let's move on to some uh, December reports that were just published in early January. First up, the December 2022 Yield Plus report. I always love these reports. I always scroll down to the graphics that I like the most, uh, which for me are the trend in TVL divided by market cap graphic for the EOS ecosystem. I'm going to share that bad boy right here. I shared the link in the chat here for the entire report, sharing the graphic where we can see a clear upwards into the right trajectory for TVL compared to market cap. So that's great. Um, in the report, they say that they've observed a 7.5 growth trend in the key TVL to market cap ratio. So that's awesome. And then the other metric that I always uh, enjoy checking out is the relative change in TVL between EOS and large cap L1s. So we can see here the light blue graphic showing the change, the relative change at like about 12% gain compared to other layer ones, uh, DeFi, T TVL. So that's really cool to see. Um, EOS, you know, had a positive cumulative return over the last, over the December, while the other L1s lost. So when you combine those, it, it, it makes for a significant gain, um, you know, for, for EOS TVL compared to other large cap L1s. Uh, John Paul asks, how does that look over a longer period? Um, I think we got three of these reports now, or was it two? I think it was three. Um, and it's kind of been similar, actually. Been hanging around the 10% mark in terms of relative gain against the other large, L uh, large cap L1s. Um, so that's been really... Really cool to see. Um, and yeah, there's some more information there you can go read um, by checking out uh, the report. And then the other report that I wanted to share quickly is the Program and Operations December report. Um, the graphs in here are not as sexy. Uh, but the information contained in these program and operations health report is very sexy and very important. Um, so you can go definitely check check that out. Uh, this report has uh, 19 pages um, and, you know, it shows status update on a lot of different projects that the ENF is currently managing. And uh, what I really like about these is that I've seen them referenced in the chats by community members when other community members are asking questions, whether it's about the EVM or other other projects. I've seen it a couple times where they're like, oh, there you go. Here's the link to the, pro you know, operations health report. And, you know, you can uh, quickly scroll to what you're interested in and then see all sorts of relevant information there. So um, those are really cool and, and were released. Um, not too long ago. And another um, content series that is going to be ramping up uh, for the ENF uh, are there um, EOS case studies, excuse me. Yeah, so word, uh, they released the WordProof uh, case study uh, before the holidays, and there's some other EOS case studies coming up. Uh, is Liam around? Let's see, is Liam around to maybe talk a bit more? Yeah, I sure uh, am. Case studies. Hey, Liam, welcome to the Fireside. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. So um, what are these case studies all about? 
Yeah, we just published our first one. Um, uh, I guess it was just end of December, right before the holidays. Let's all drop it in the chat here. Um, these are a way for us to sort of highlight all of the applications that are leveraging the power of EOS to take their, you know, dApps, uh, projects, integrations to the next level. Um, this is just the first of many. Um, our plan really here is to highlight the applications, not only in a way that we're elevating them for the community to, to engage in, but primarily um, to showcase sort of the power of the network to um, other people that are building in the space and looking for a network to power their application. Um, and so, you know, WordProof is a, is a, was a great place to start. Um, for those who don't know, it's an awesome application that essentially um, timestamps um, data by uh, like content that's published online uh, to the network in a way that you can go back and reference it and build um, what the founders referred to as a trusted web. Um, and uh, yeah, they noted in, in the case study that even though they offer other networks such as Bitcoin and Ethereum, uh, their users, 99% of them use the US network just because of the speed and uh, scalability of it all. Uh, so that that's the start. Uh, coming up soon, we're going to have case studies on uh, DeFi Box and BBS, I know is in the works. Um, Pizza is also coming uh, coming down the line. Um, but if, you, if you've got an application um, and I haven't reached out to you and you'd like, like to be featured in this series as they roll out, um, shoot me a DM on Telegram or here. And uh, we'll send over our questionnaire and get started. Um, we'll be just continually rolling these out through the year. <laughs> and Pamela's on the way, Daniel Keys. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that's great. Looking forward to, to seeing all that content, really highlighting the success stories uh, that are built on, e on EOS. Uh, WordProof is a great, is a great uh, first candidate uh, for that. They've been around since pretty much the very start of, of EOS and they've been featured on uh, you know, many, many platforms. So that's, that's really cool to see. Yeah, and uh, I also got a shout out, I mean, kind of along the lines of this, Val, I see she's here, um, has been doing tons of work on the website and uh, we'll be working on a, a new page on the website. Not sure, we aren't going to put a date on when it's coming out, but to, to sort of showcase all of these as well. So it's really going to be just a great way to highlight the ecosystem at a high level as soon as someone ends up on the EOS Network site. Yeah, and something that, that we, we talked about earlier um, off, offline here was, is that these articles are written with a builder in mind, right? So they're not necessarily written for the EOS community, the end users, to get to know these projects better. It's written as, uh, as a way of getting other builders excited about building on EOS and showcasing what other builders have been able you know, to build. Um, so, so I think that's a really, really good angle to take for, for this type of content series. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's also, you know, lining up perfectly with the uh, the Learn portal that we just launched and, and the developer documentations that just got an overhaul as well, right? So uh, for those who haven't seen it, the Learn Hub um, is a place where people can go and learn about building on EOS and also find places where they can earn EOS as well, like the grant framework and Pomelo. So, um, you know, this funnel of bringing people into the ecosystem, showing them the power of what it can do, and then showing them how to get started and, and make an income building on EOS right away is is, is getting built out um, pretty quickly now. So it's going to be cool to see how it kind of compounds over over the coming year. Love it. 
All right, and uh, last but not least here, uh, final topic of the day. Um, before we open it up to the open mic for the community, we'll see how long we go today. Chris Barnes wanted to uh, talk about potential use cases for the Eden-style political playoff process. Uh, before we get into that, just wanted to uh, just quickly quickly mention, um, just wanted to talk slightly about uh, the topics that I brought up last Fireside. I know many in the community uh, gave me feedback, gave others feedback. Some thought it was too long, some thought it was boring, some don't really care about Eden too much right now, etc. So, uh, you know, I, I appreciate uh, the comments, I've been reading the chats, appreciate. Um, for those who did listen, for those who did find it interesting, I appreciate that. And to the others that found it boring, I'm sorry about that. Um, I don't think we're going to go another two hours on Eden today, so you don't have to worry about that. But if you don't want to hear about Eden, you can, I guess, sign off at this point. Um, but yeah, at this point, I'd like to invite uh, Chris uh, to share some of his thoughts um, on, on the topic and kind of maybe recap some of the conversations that have happened over the last week in the various chats in the community. Yeah, thanks, Stefan. I appreciate um, uh, you reaching out to me to offer me an opportunity to talk more about this. Um, I'm not, I, don't, I wasn't really thinking about going over much of the specific details uh, that you brought up yesterday. I think in the end, um, a lot of reflection of those of us in Eden have taken place since the recent election and since we've seen basically some holes, like there's gaps, gaps in the, in the process. And so just to go back a second, just to preface this conversation, and I want, I'm, I'm ideally looking for feedback. Like I think this would be an interesting collaborative conversation and get opinions of other folks who are or are not familiar with the Eden process in the community and what it's, what it, it's attempting to be or what it could be. And and that's, I think, an interesting conversation that's beneficial to EOS since EOS is the only blockchain that has something like Eden. Um, so it's something that we should be proud of and hopefully uh, trying to encourage it to to foster it, become something really meaningful that's not just important to us in our little circle here, but the broader crypto space. Um, so when Eden were first, was first rolled out, it was basically a worker proposal system. And so it came out prior to Pomelo being a thing, prior to the ENF being really well established and having a grant framework. Um, so it was sort of the only, it was the first WPS that EOS came out with, uh, obviously a little late in the uh, progression of how we would have preferred things, but that's how it came out. And many joined Eden, including myself, because of the govern governance applications. So it wasn't, I didn't join personally, and I think many also didn't join because they wanted to earn funding as a WPS, but they saw the application of this process being a new democratic tool to select leaders and representatives from within a community. So ever since Dan Larimer left Eden to work on Fractally, which really happened pretty early in the in the evolution of, of Eden, right? The first official election was October of two years ago now, and um, he left the, basically January, February, and February is when uh, Fractally was announced. So he wasn't really around for too long. And when he left, um, Eden basically struggled to kind of come to consensus on what its identity is. You know, is it simply a WPS system or is it a, a DGov tool? So I'll use that term instead of decentralized governance, or is it maybe a hybrid? And so um, if this community, so now we look at the recent election, what happened? And so if this community was going to be used more specifically as a DGov tool, then we need to really start to consider the potential attack vectors that it has. And this really came up to the forefront when the Eden Smart Proxy, since renamed to EOS Smart Proxy, was announced because it pr proposed leveraging this Eden community in this process and communities that use this process as is 
to be the the underlying bedrock of this proxy initiative that could be if it reached um, some of those who were involved potential of it would be arguably the proxy that could determine the large majority of the top block producers if it achieved enough stake so so there's an, obviously an apparent risk that comes with the proxy first of all of having too much centralized control but then second to that if it has this centralized control if that if the power of this proxy is in the hands of this eden thing this community this tool then is it robust can it can it withstand attacks and can it be captured and then if it if the proxy for example leveraging this group um, has too much power then it could really disrupt the entire blockchain so it's a major risk and everyone who's pointed out the concerns of the proxy and more specifically the concerns with eden uh they're they're, they're correct they're right they uh they i think they've really pointed out something valuable so um the question that basically is looking at some of these uh so this community uh, would use this dgov tool. If you want to create a dgov tool, we need to consider the attack vectors. And so two of those, I think, have turned out to be very clear. And this kind of speaks to what you had done previously, Stefan. And that's the ability to flood the membership with a particular party or group with an agenda. So in your case, Stefan, you added four people who were basically proxies of yourself, and they were going to vote in line with whatever your agenda might have been. Not saying that was bad or whatever, but just the fact that that could happen. And so you were able to pull off four people. It wouldn't be much more effort to have 40 people or I mean, even 400 joined just in advance of an election. So if that happened, I mean, the, the way the elections work and the way the probability of distributing members into small groups, if you had a flood of membership, you would clearly affect the eventual outcome because you would just stalemate the rooms that you didn't want certain people to go through. And when you had enough of a particular party in a room, they would move their people forward and the capture would be complete. Um, and then the other, so that's one major attack vector. And then the other one I think that stands out is the ability for new members to join literally the day before an election and have equal standing or access or ability to be a chief delegate, to actually achieve the position of having the keys to the kingdom, especially if you had a few of you together. So that's the idea of, you know, rites of passage or membranes that people should put in their time and, and to achieve these positions to have this type of authority and influence. Uh, for a worker proposal system, who cares, right? I mean, if you're just trying to, you could join the day before you got a great project, great project's a great project. It will speak for itself in terms of merit. Whether you're deserving of the trust of the community to receive the funding, that's a separate question. But at least if it's project-based, it doesn't much matter. But when we're starting to look for this idea of DGov, that's a problem. And so I've been thinking now since this election, because my focus has always been governance personally, um, that what what can we can we tweak the process is there an opportunity here to iterate recognizing that this first version of eden is the very first one and uh and and it of course it's not going to be perfect especially for all applications so if we really want to look at dgov as an application what tweaks could be made and i think that's just a general question that i, I have that i've been thinking about um and my i'm leaning towards the idea of interrelating the fractally process which is this weekly meeting kind of ranking each other for previous work done over the past week versus the Eden, we'll call it the Eden process, even though maybe we should call it the upvote process to not confuse the naming. But the upvote process is about forward-looking. What are you promising to do? So we'll elect you. If you marry those two together, maybe there's this neat, harmonious sort of option that we can create a new community that's specifically focused on DGov. And then from there, I'm thinking there's really an opportunity for this governance as a service. And so there's, and there's all, and the question came up, well, what, what kind of services would a governance org like this do? And you could do, uh, so Phoenix is on the call. He had a great one, right? Just even offering dispute resolution services. 
though the idea of ECAF, which is something that EOS was at the beginning of the beginning in the launch of EOS had this EOS core arbitration forum. The question was always was, you know, who, who, who selects the arbiters, right? Who arbitrates on the arbiters? Why do they get to be the ones who have this outsized authority to make decision? And that's where maybe this Eden process, if hardened sufficiently, uh, could be used. And then if we had this sort of API interface that all sorts of dApps that might have potential future disputes that could arise, whether it's in games or in more sophisticated applications that aren't just for fun, that maybe there's that's an, a service we could provide. Uh, or you could do MSIG as a service. If you've got certain wallet providers that want to offer account recovery, they could leverage this type of hardened community that's focused on governance to offer MSIG as a service. We could do a transparency auditing watchdogs. So we, I've, I've, I bring it up more than I maybe should, but the idea of like support, like encouraging more transparency from the ENF and use of inflation. Well, maybe this DGov type of platform with individuals who are transparent, basically doxed and and are there in the open could provide a service to something an organization like the ENF saying yes, transparency is hard. We recognize that. We are good at that. Help help let us help you become more transparent. And that's something that many applications could potentially leverage. Um, and then lastly, I'll just, uh, the idea of uh, DeFi protocols wanting to add more parties to their MSIG. So you could leverage this community for that. And then any basically sort of intent of code arbitration, you, the, the idea of you know, who gets to decide the intent. And so this is where you can leverage this type of DGov community for that. So that's the idea. I just want to get the conversation started and um, seeing what uh, folks in the community think about that. I will jump in if nobody else is. Um, I like a lot of those ideas. And one thing that kept ringing in my ears as you were saying all this is that it seems like the tool being upvote elections or political playoffs or whatever it's called, um, it needs to serve kind of a, a more singular purpose. Um, a lot of which you said, and maybe some of those could be combined. Um, but there's a lot of tooling both before and after that needs to exist for this, this one step to actually be successfully used. It's a really cool tool to use, but like what you described with being able to flood an election beforehand, it's like there are processes before the election that need to happen. And then it sounds like there are also processes that need to happen after the election. And it's like, we weren't given any of those. So we're kind of stumbling around trying to figure out what those things are before and after. We, it's like we were given the middle of something really cool. And now it's figuring out both before and after and then figuring out what it could be used for, but not treating it as if one instance of this process can solve every problem. I don't know if that made any sense. <laughs> it makes a ton of sense to me. And you, you, we were both first that first six month chief yeah. delegate. So we, we, we get each other on this one. <laughs> we were, what, do, what do we do? And, and the challenge, I mean, this is where I feel like Eden was launched as a WPS and it's it, the more I think about it. And I've been trying to shoehorn, I think my like personal perspective of governance into this thing. And it's, I, I think it's, it's, um, it's not, it doesn't make sense. Like just leave it as is. And the internal, we've got a lot of internal debate still in the chat. What are we, what are we trying to solve? And maybe the answer is just the, the easiest one, which is what we started with. And let's not get too cute about what this current org is, because when we tried to arrive at group consensus about making these big grand changes about purpose, which is like a foundational piece, 
we're just too much, there's just too much dissent. Um, where I think if we start fresh, learn from the mistakes, and then it's like everyone who wants to join this new thing, it's really clear what the purpose is. There'll be no ambiguity about what are we trying to do here and what's the purpose. And, and even having clear roles and responsibilities for level one delegates and chief delegates. That's like the, one of the biggest gaps that we can all probably agree that there are no, like, what are you supposed to do other than spend your funding? And even then you don't even have to. I mean, technically you can just participate in election and that's all you really need to do. Like there's no real requirement. And I think that's a lost opportunity that a lot of people in Eden have noticed. Like they want stuff to do as a level one. They want like, what are we supposed to, can we do more? There's more we can do here. And I think that's where I see this as an opportunity to sort of start fresh, keep the current Eden going. Just to be clear, I'm not suggesting we replace anything. It just keeps doing what it's doing. But we do another derivation that's specifically curated about selecting for governance and then whoever is the chief delegates and the L1s, their job is to basically execute on delivering governance services. So that's where it can be broad. Like this community can do, it can be a, a customer could be the, the EOS smart proxy in helping to govern that. A customer could be the ENF and helping to provide transparency or MSIG as a service. So it becomes like some of this business unit, this entity of individuals in this community who care a lot about governance come together and let's create a governance tool that can actually deliver services and maybe even earn revenue, like God forbid, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and when you said that one specifically, that got me thinking. And I was like, we could work something into account creation that's like, would you like to opt in to having this social backup system as part of your account? You know, fresh user, fresh account. And it's, there is some mechanism there where then this service helps people recover their accounts when they lose their keys or their phone gets thrown in a river or whatever. Um, that could be a potential application of that. It leverages like the trust system of this process and it could maybe fit into the governance one you're talking about or maybe fit into a purpose specific one for this specific thing. Who knows? I think if it's perfect, like that's exactly where I might, when I suggested the, the wallet recovery, that it's exactly yeah. what it'd be something like that. And it's also like really taking advantage of what eAntelope.io has with the owner active permissions. Like we've really, we've really still not, I don't think fully exploited that really unique account permission structure that has been exploited to the fact that the rest of the crypto community is aware of it. It's like, oh, this, they, they've got account recovery that's like implicitly on chain through this community that has this really unique governance process. Like it's something that is a story that I think in the world of all the fraud and everything we're seeing over the past six months, I think there, I mean, I still believe there's really something here that can set us apart. We just have to start to, I think, work a little more collaboratively on, on what that narrative and what that story is and try to deliver something. Yep. Agreed. An API offering services, I, I fully endorse. I think uh, in general with the ES community, it would be great if like there could be collaborations amongst many DAOs, kind of like just having their own API. So you could like, for example, on Pomelo, you could like rank different DAOs based on how much they contribute and stuff like that. Or um, for example, if even a service could be like, because you're so enthusiastic about the, the video interviews and that, that itself could be a service, right? Because for example, with effect workers, it's important that you kind of need to prove your humanity, right? That you're not a bot just trying to spam. And uh, that could be one way to, uh, if we wanted a qualification for something, perhaps being on the Eden DAO could be one type of qualification showing that it's a person uh, behind that account. So I think there's definitely many ways that a governance protocol could like just sell services in a decentralized way. 
Another example that's kind of like that is the application registry that was pitched in the Wallet Plus Blue Paper, you know, about a year ago. Um, one of the points in that, like the project itself, if I, most of you probably haven't read the paper because it's technical, but um, it's to create kind of almost like an app store of what exists on the network. And then for wallets like ours to be able to leverage that to like show people what is on the network and then validate requests against it. Just that's the application registry. But one of the components of it is, is who controls what exists in there. Like how do we, in some decentralized way, make sure that the apps that are promoted in there are quote unquote trustworthy? Um, and what gets removed for what reasons, like there's a governance layer required almost for the application registry as a platform service. And this could, again, be another use of upvote or political playoffs to form that group that does this thing and make sure it's, you know, they are compensated or whatever is required to make sure that system keeps moving. Well, my DMs are open. If anyone else on this call has thoughts about this, use cases, especially use cases, as this pitch becomes more formalized, and it will be, I'll be doing a, a formal pitch, basically, to, to present some of the, the tweaks to the system. And it's, I mean, it, this needs to be collaborative. It's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert in any of this, so I, I definitely would look forward to receiving people's feedback. Um, hopefully that feedback isn't painted with the brush that I'm a B1 shill because it has nothing to do with B1. So just putting that out there, this is strictly about governance and EOS and Eden and, uh, and definitely um, looking forward to uh, talking more about this. And hopefully it's not too boring because <laughs> governance can be boring. I think it's a really strong and makes it a lot more interesting probably for the firesides to tie it back to not just governance for the sake of governance, but like governance for a lot of the other things that are really going to make EOS pop and have more appeal. And there was a lot of that in this conversation. So I like it. Awesome. Thank you. Yep. That is definitely the goal. This is something that EOS will be, it'll be unique. I mean, I think anybody here, especially, I think a lot of us who've been around since the beginning, we, EOS was a, a it has a philosophical lean. It was like, it, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone, right? This idea of securing life, liberty, property, justice for all, like Dan's line that he uses. And it's like that captured, I think, a lot of us. And so this is just kind of moving towards that direction. And EOS can still lead the way in being a blockchain that the rest of the community, broader crypto space, can look towards as being a trendsetter on, on that type of initiative. So yeah, awesome. That's all I had on this, Stefan. If, um, if no one else has any questions or thoughts about it. You must have gone and gotten a snack or something. <laughs> oh, I was muted. Jesus. <laughs> Classic. Um, yeah, thanks for your, thanks for the, your thoughts, Chris. Um, and yeah, at this point, if, uh, you know, I'm going to open up the floor to the community, open mic, uh, if anyone has some questions for any of the 70 people still on this call with us today, 
Uh, feel free to jump in here, say hi, ask a question, share a comment, share an update. Whatever it is, we still got 20 minutes before I'm, uh, I'm going to call it uh, after two hours. Share uh, the quick update with the, the effect DAO. Um, I posted a message. Um, so I, I made a proposal for the rest of the DAO to vote on. And basically, we just want to endorse uh, the ENF and Pomelo and all that because um, things like in particular, I really like the concept of EOS support because it's uh, basically a way to endorse a support service because there's always like people like trying to trick people. So it's nice to have just a central, not necessarily centralized, but like it's like endorsed in a decentralized way that this support can be con considered safer. Um, as long as the power up tools uh, uh, from Bo Jonathan Boyd and all that. Um, so, uh, and also I want to pitch that uh, effect that also kind of wants to support like developers focus on any like effect uh, SDK dApps. And so it's definitely making, I'm making a pitch here that uh, if you, uh, if you write a grant on Pomelo, you to also look into uh, Effect Network and see if uh, maybe you can pitch something to us as well, and we may give you like some uh, EFX to build it out. Very cool. Thanks. Uh, thanks for jumping in and sharing that update, and thanks for thanks for being a regular now. I don't know how many been a couple of weeks now that you've joined us, and you've always got some great comments and great contributions uh, to the fireside chat. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, Dan here. Uh, just want to, you know, speaking of governance experiments and EO support, just want to give a shout out to the EO support team. Um, love seeing, you know, these experiments of governance, especially with low stakes as we build up these systems and um, love seeing, you know, we, we got the EO support team experimenting using the Eden process to elect Pomelo auditors to audit, you know, the progress of grants on Pomelo. Uh, which is amazing. I, I love seeing the community self-organizing. You know, we're a pretty small team at Pomelo, so we can only do so much at a time. So having seen other teams putting together governance structures, structures outside of Pomelo that can help make Pomelo better using these governance tools at our disposal, like the Eden election process, uh, I think it's awesome to see that sort of thing. So uh, again, big shout out to your support. Looking forward to seeing hopefully some grant applications from them on this in Pomelo next season. Because um, again, we also have the mechanisms through Pomelo and through Eden and through the grant framework and all this stuff we got to, to fund these little experiments too. So um, yeah, love to see it. I have a quick question. I am just curious. So this is a uh, this is Andrew Drewblock. Um, I am uh, just curious to hear. I don't, I don't know if there's any uh, interesting updates about Pomelo grants, but as long as we're on the subject of Pomelo, I, I will say I am very excited for that feature. Which feature was that? Sorry, I missed that part. Uh, oh, I, I misspoke. Actually, I think I said Pomelo grants, but what I meant was uh, Pomelo bounties. Ah, Pomelo bounties. Uh, we're very close. We're gonna. I think we're within the next couple weeks. We're gonna be in the, you know, very alpha testing with internal stakeholders. Um, got the whole end-to-end -end experience working. Still work to do to polish it and add some bells and whistles and things like that. Um, but we're. 
I can finally see the finish line uh, with with uh, Pamela Banty. So yeah, this has taken longer than what we had originally planned, um, but it's it's looking really good, and I'm I'm excited to see people starting to create bounties on Pomelo. And for those who don't know what Pomelo Bounties is, it's sort of the inverse of a grant. Uh, as somebody who has funds to spend and something I need to get done, I can post a task, fund it with some EOS or another EOS-related token, and anyone can apply to complete that task. As the funder, I can review all the applicants and approve who I want to allow to do the work. And when they finish the work, the funds are released to them. And it's all managed through smart contracts on EOS and built into the the UI in Pomelo. So I'm really excited to see that. And there's lots of synergy there again. As a think about a, the scenario where I've, you know, I'm new to the ecosystem. I start participating in Pomelo. Maybe my first time participating is by just donating to some grants. And I start finding this thing kind of interesting. Maybe I create a collection. I start building up my reputation. And then I have an idea for something that, you know, I've spent a little bit of time in the community. I see an opportunity, something that the community needs public good, maybe. I create a grant. I raise a little bit of funds. I come back next season. I raise some more. Now I got to build this thing. I'm not a developer. I can take the funds I raised through Pomelo Grants and post some bounties up in Pomelo Bounties. And there you go. Now you got a, a team forming to help build the thing you've, you've committed to building. Uh, so, yeah, really looking forward to, to bounties coming to life and, and sort of completing that feedback loop or that that circular economy kind of thing. Yeah, I think what I'm particularly excited about as far as the, uh, the Pomelo Bounties goes is that with Pomelo Bounties, that means that pretty much any person in the world with an internet connection will be able to sort of join the EOS community through Pomelo and if they've got a good idea, they can sort of get funding for it. They can get people to uh, work on it and then they can deploy it on a decentralized chain that runs on its own. It basically cuts out all of the uh, the sort of uh, the, the steps that require a lot of scale in uh, starting up a new idea and, and coming up with something. So that's specifically why I'm really excited about it. Are we saying that this is going to be ready by the next season? Yeah, I would say, you know, ready for internal beta testing, whether it's ready for production, public consumption, that's, that's less certain. Um, although I would say it's certainly a goal. Would the, the bounties be limited to uh, grant specifics? Nope, there's no, um, so, you know, with, with Pomelo grants, there's like very specific rules around what qualifies as a grant. It's got to be a public good, for example. Uh, on bounties, really, it's, you know, the, uh, the, the only limiting factor is the imagination of the, of the bounty funder. Uh, and also keeping in mind the limitations of the platform in terms of, you know, you, you're going to want to keep the scope small and simple. Um, it's, it's kind of like a one to one funding, so you can't, there's not going to be any, at least initially, no complex, you know, distributing funds in different milestones or anything like that. It's going to, you know, so you're going to want to create your bounties task by task. 
and release the funds in that way. Um, but there's nothing, you know, no rules around what is eligible to, to go up as a bounty. Daniel, um, this is Jack Bites. Um, I do have the um, um, uh, Kin Antelope uh, program that I wanted to develop, and I am not a coder, so it's been very hard for me to find partners who would, uh, you know, help me out with the code. And uh, this bounties idea, I, I really enjoy it. I, I like to hear that. And I think it's a very nice outlet for us who are not necessarily you know, completely familiar with the code. Thank you for that. Yeah, happy to hear you're, you're looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, part of the challenge is going to be, uh, and this is again, at the heart of Pomelo is that reputation. Um, so... You know, all the reputation you gain through Pomelo grants is also, you know, your profile works across both bounties and, and grants. Um, so when you add someone who is looking for to approve someone to complete a bounty, you know, you're going to want to find someone who's got some, some reputation that they're capable of delivering. Um, so, you know, we've got a, a nice pool of strong candidates already from the, the four seasons we've had of people creating grants. Now, with bounties, you've got a new way to start building a reputation by completing small little bounties. And over time, by completing bounties, you know, that reputation is, is growing. Um, so you know, through bounties, you can grow your reputation, which can help you in grants. And through grants, you can grow your, grow your reputation, which can help you in bounties. It's all a lot of synergies all, all the way around. Absolutely. And with Eden too. Again, with with you can join Eden, get elected, start collecting. You know, we are already supporting you know Eden member profile pictures. Uh, I'm excited to dive more into these non-transferable tokens that are that are being experimented with for uh, election participants. Um, so lots of yeah, lots of synergies here. Absolutely, I think um, the the that. Thank you for mentioning that reputation. I wasn't thinking about that, but I think uh, you know, in my case, I've been <clears throat> I have a list of people who want to help. But they're completely strange to me, and, and it's very difficult to vet them or to know if they're going to be completing the task or, you know, how to pay them. And it's very, very hard. So this reputational uh, feature that you're talking about, and even in combination with Eden, I, I think this is very, very useful for the community. Absolutely. I am very glad to hear this. Yeah. Not just uh, yeah, it only keep uh, getting better. Exactly because uh, go ahead. Oof effect effect out. We have like uh, we we allocated EFX for dev bounties that are posted on our GitHub. So I'm I was just thinking like if we could just all port it all there, and that way it's because uh, Pomelo I think is just a great resource for all sorts of EOS developers to congregate, right? And so it'd be great if it just like you could look at all the bounties available for various, you know, DAOs that like want things built along with, you know, individual actors and stuff like that. I think that would be a great, great thing. I've been reading uh, a long time about Effect, Effect um, on the I, and I, I, I really like that program and I'm very glad that you guys are back into it. Um, yeah, definitely this is another source for us to engage in people into develop into you know writing little pieces of code with little tasks or small or medium-sized tasks 
Right. We have the FX SDK, and the main goal right now we need is uh, just to outreach to uh, developers to uh, build, you know, dApps for people to work on. I mean, dApps where people do work. Uh, so I think we'll definitely be uh, trying to get more bounties on Pomelo once it's ready. Good. Question here from Aaron. Business logic question about bounties. I put up a bounty, it gets completed. Who am I paying from an accounting perspective? Pomelo or the individual who completed the bounty? Um, you might want to double check with your accountant, but my my impression would be you're you're paying the bounty hunter, as we call them. Uh, so Pomelo sort of serves as an escrow in this situation. Um, but you as the funder approve the specific hunter who's going to be doing the work. Um, before, when you post the bounty up, you're depositing your, your funds into the smart contract. Once you accept somebody from, to start that work, the, the funds are, they can, they start the work and they can signal that they've completed the work automatically. The funds will get released to that person after 72 hours unless you as a funder takes action to say, go back to the drawing board. Um, but the, yeah, like any of the things similar to Fiverr, we're kind of in disputes. You generally go in favor of the hunter who's completing work. We want to prevent having scenarios where a funder can rug pull someone from, you know, completing the work and then, oh, you didn't meet my requirements. Never mind. Keep the money. Um, so there is, a, you know, there is some onus funder to, again, be careful who they, who they approve to do work. And we'll do our best as the Pomelo team to surface the reputation. But going back to your accounting question, uh, I don't know if, if the fact that we're serving as an escrow in the middle, depending on your jurisdiction, if that impacts accounting. But from my perspective, you're transferring funds to the hunter. It's just being temporarily held by our escrow. All right. Interesting. From the token perspective, it's like you are now the custodian of that token. But I don't like. There's going to have to be some sort of invoicing arrangement, collaboration in some situations. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't yeah, sure if good. you had I'll, thoughts from like a legal team or like how legally this was structured or yeah how it works. So I actually have a call with my legal team to talk specifically about this sort of thing with uh, this week, actually. So. Uh, that it's a good good like, question. I haven't, cool. I haven't brought up specifically the accounting perspective, but yeah, I know with uh, there's some yeah yeah custodial the, KYC all that sort of stuff for yep. the questions we're working through right now. That's what I was just going to ask next. I know you KYC grant recipients, and if that would also apply to bounty recipients as well, or if this is more could be anonymous. I don't know. Yeah, we don't have an answer there yet, and we're hopefully we'll have an answer by the end of this week on the specifics and what are the thresholds. You know, is it only a over a bounty's over a certain dollar value that would need KYC? Do they need KYC at all? Yeah. Um, all right. Cool. Uh, I would. I. I. I we probably there probably will be at a minimum for bounties over a certain dollar value, um, but we're going to try our best to find ways to limit. The, where we need to, to do KYC as much as possible. I have a question. 
This is Zach Butler. I was just wondering, so like 72 hours isn't very long. Um, like what if I'm going out of the country or if I'm going off the grid for a while, is there a way to suspend the bounty or pause it temporarily until I get back? That's a good question. We don't currently have a... Go ahead, Danny. Well, the 72 hours is once the bounty is completed. So it's not like uh, you have 72 hours to complete the bounty. You could spend a week, you can spend a month. It's really just the, the dispute resolution. So let's say if um, in a scenario where you complete a bounty and you've, you know, you've, you've accepted that, that, that work and you, you say, I've finished my bounty, the other person has 70, 72 hours to respond uh, to that request um, or else it'll be automatically approved. So if you, you could complete the bounty in a week or two weeks, um, it's really just for the end dispute resolution. Um, and if you're, a, uh, if you're a bounty creator and you're going on vacation and not monitoring your, 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 uh, your bounties, well, that's, uh, you should not be creating bounties in the first place, probably. But that's good feedback. Like, we haven't, we haven't stopped, see, like, gotten any feedback on that 72 hours specifically. Like, what is the right length of time? Uh, again, we're trying to strike a balance here between protecting the, the hunters so they can get the funds as quickly as possible without getting rugged. Um, but at the same time, obviously, we want to give the funder an opportunity to provide feedback. Um, and and uh, yeah, so in a, in a case of you're a funder and you're, you've already approved someone to do work and then you go on vacation, if, if they, and you miss the notification, oh, so-and-so has submitted work and you don't get to it in time, uh, those funds would be released already. Uh, that being said, again, for, for those, that, and we don't have ratings stuff built in yet, but those, that's going to come eventually. Um, there's a lot of stuff that can happen outside too. So, you know, even if in a case where the funds have already been released, that hunter wants to get a five-star rating from the funder and they get a message Oops, I was on vacation. I have some feedback from this work. Um, great, you got the money, no worries. But hey, do you mind doing a little extra touch up on this here and there? I didn't get a chance to give you my feedback. And I'm sure and, you know, in most cases, especially the, the hunters who want to grow that reputation will be more than willing to, to oblige. So just because they, you know, the funds have been released doesn't mean that you know, communication is cut off and work can't still be iterated on. Yeah, I would, um, I would do it personally. Like, imagine if I work for a small business or maybe I'm a sole proprietor. I mean, 72 hours is a three-day weekend. But let, let's say I'm an employee. Like, I don't want to work on my time off. So if I'm responsible for posting these things for my employer, I mean, that's that's just a three-day weekend. So at the very least, I'd make it four days because there's not really many four-day weekends. I mean, there's some. But really, I would do a week. That's just my opinion. But thank you for answering my question. Thanks for the feedback. That's That's valuable. Appreciate that. Maybe that's a the question on the expir expiration. Oh, sorry. Oh, no worries. Okay. Uh, so you, let's say, for example, someone's like a hunter signs up, but, you know, personal things result in him like forgetting about it and it's just kind of on standby. Would there be a way to kind of like cancel it? You cut off there. If I understand correctly, uh, is there a way to cancel a bounty as a. Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's say like the the hunter, uh, something else comes up and they personally just stop 
know, communicating. And, uh-huh. uh, so, right. So once work begins, the only person who can cancel is the hunter. So there's no way for the funder, again, again, to protect the hunters from getting robbed. We, we've currently in, in the system prevent the funder from canceling a bounty that has already started. Uh, you can cancel a bounty if no one has, if you haven't already approved someone to start the work, you can cancel and, and get your fund back. Uh, but from the point that work has begun, really now the only, all, all that can happen is the funds get distributed or you can continually kind of play this ping pong match between the funder and the hunter to send it back to the hunter to keep doing work and the hunter can say, okay, I'm done. And you, can, as the funder, can say, no, you're not. And you keep going back and forth. That's another, um, I guess, element we need to, you know, would be helpful to get feedback from the community on is, is there a limit to how many times a ping pong match can go back and forth? Um, or after three revisions, automatically it gets dispersed. Um, currently, the way that it's designed is that ping pong match can just keep going until somebody gives up. In reference to Aaron's uh, question about accounting, I have uh, <clears throat> I've been thinking two two things. Uh, one, uh, in the U.S., when a real estate transaction is happening, there's an escrow company with whether it's a, a title company or a lawyer. <clears throat> so accounting doesn't uh, issue a receipt for the lawyer. No, it, it you know it, they they are just a an intermedi- intermediary that will hold the funds. So accounting should be clear on that. The um, the escrow account doesn't it's not involved into the transaction itself, other than just holding it. Now, uh, Pomelo can be that escrow, as Daniel was saying, and you just hold the um, the, uh, the funds. Whether you can hold it before you release to the grant receiver and save it into a size saying, okay, this can be reserved for your bounties if you want to do it in advance. Or afterwards, um, you can just, uh, you know, we would have to figure out a way to hold it without changing ownership of the token. That's an idea. So I can add some. I see Aaron's asking to uh, to go over the describe the process of the bounty, and there's some uh, some some talk on the definition of a bounty here. Uh, so the process looks like this: I, as a funder, create a bounty in the Pomelo UI, and it's very simple. The you, you know, give it a title, give it a, sh- a short description, you link to a GitHub issue. The link, the GitHub issue, is kind of really the big where all the all the work is described and where further conversation can occur, you know, to clarify requirements and things like that. Um, it gets posted in the UI. Um, you, before it gets posted, you fund it. So deposit EOS to the smart contract. Say, I want to call this a 10 EOS bounty. Um, now, now it's showing up on the UI. Anyone can browse the, 
the UI and see, okay, here's a bounty for create a logo for Unicove. And anyone can apply. And, and yeah, to your point, the, the uh, funder approves the person doing the work, not the work that's been completed already. Um, so you, you're, you're not going to see the work until after you've already selected the person. They complete the work, they tell you they're done, and then at that point, then you can release the funds to them. And this Basically is heavily influenced by, by Bitcoin. Yeah, in a, in a way, yeah. Um, that's, and it's, yeah, this is, this is heavily modeled after the way that the bounty system is done on Gitcoin. Uh, so we take a lot of inspiration from, from Gitcoin at Pomelo. Um, and, and again, a lot of, a lot of the decisions in that design are meant to, you know, as best we can protect both the hunter and the funder without getting too much in the way, you know, over time, you know, I, I see comments here, you know, uh, Dispute resolution system would be nice. Uh, agree, uh, and you know, maybe one day we will have one. Dispute resolution is a complicated thing to design and build. Um, so if we wanted to launch bounties out of the gate with a dispute resolution built in, you know, we'll have to wait another year before we can release bounties. So we much prefer getting it out into the hands of, of you know, Pamela participants so they can start playing with it, start giving us that feedback. Um, and in the short term, you know, again, just like I've been, I've been advocating for Eden to keep the scope minimal on how we leverage governance because there's still a lot of systems that need to be built to make it more robust. Uh, keep the scope small so that in a case where someone, you know, you're not happy with the work that's done, at least it wasn't a, you know, huge amount of, of money that, that was spent. And again, over time with that reputation, that should happen less and less because you're, you're selecting people with proven track records who can do a great job. I would say kind of on the flip side of that, I I would also like to see Pomelo have an actual bounty system. And I think the protections, like I know you guys are going a different direction with this, uh, with the system that you're talking about now. Um, but the Pomelo, the reputation system within Pomelo also really helps bolster a true bounty system like there can be shenanigans in that where you know no nobody is allowed to claim said bounty but the work is done but again like that's where the reputation system kicks in you're not going to want to work on bounties for people that do that right, right. so i i definitely see the value in both it's just definitely not what i was envisioning a bounty system to be like it's your, it's a job board that you then contract somebody with, as opposed to, you know, slapping a wanted poster on the bank wall of some criminal, and whoever catches him gets the reward. Those are bounties, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, that's good feedback. Um, and perhaps there's there are ways to yeah, like like you said, do both, even with sharing a lot of the same. Things we built for the one system is just changing, changing the mechanics a little bit. Yeah, and it could be an add-on as well, right? So there's a lot of different configurations on how to create yeah. job tasks and bounties. You know, the relationship between does one bounty can only be created by one person, or can many 
many users apply to one bounty. So there's many configurations. We're, we're going to start with the one-to-one relationship, which is one funder to one uh, bounty hunter. But there could be a lot of different configurations before. Uh, maybe I think the one that you're talking about is, is sort of a bounty that does not need to be approved uh, formally, whereas you can start the work immediately. And as soon as someone reveals the work, a uh, person gets paid. But there's a lot of configurations, and and we have to pick uh, we have to pick one one model that is uh, has a, the least friction. Let's say, um, mm-hmm. let's say two people make uh, complete the work. Well, who now gets to decide who gets paid? And then a lot of so we have sort of this pre-approval, let's say, uh, before. So that way, at least there's an agreement of this person is going to do the work. Um, but there's a lot of configurations with bounties or tasks, let's say, or job boards. Um, I, as from an administrative point of view, um, the, like the path of least resistance to all of this would be just to not use the system, though. Um, and that's why I started off leading with the accounting question. It is like it is actually going to be it. It won't be easier to find people. Like this service would help me find people to accomplish tasks, but then everything beyond that would actually be easier if I just contracted that person. So, I'm. I think that's my appeal of the other system is it's less administrative work. I can float an idea out, and if somebody completes it, cool. And there's no like interview process and accepting somebody to do the work, and you know, the steps that you're describing. Um, but using the model that you've even described, it makes me wonder if I would actually use it because it would actually just be easier for me to, maybe not easier to find the person, but to interact with that person directly rather than going through Pomelo. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. That's, that's powerful feedback. But the fact also to have a, you know, tasks and and jobs board and open for all of us to see that's actually that's, gonna be part of the reputation too, I think. And that's really valuable because finding people is probably right. the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a good and building the reputation. You're not gonna be able to build your reputation outside of the, you know, if, so, you know, if you use it just as a job board and then contract outside of the, the platform, that reputation is not tracked. Right. Um, so the, I guess part of the value you get is building that reputation. Um, and I guess the, the mm-hmm. other part of the value, which is going to be our job, is to just make that experience super seamless and friendly. And so you're not going to want to, um, you know, go through the effort of contracting someone outside. Um, you know, I think the idea with this is that you don't have to have any contracts. Um, you know, the, the platform itself sort of serves as that contract. Um, but yeah, you raise an interesting point from an invoicing perspective. Like, can you know, will I be able to submit an invoice, or will I have to go directly to the to that bounty um, hunter and get them to invoice me? Um, again, maybe there's something we can do as the Pomelo bounties team to facilitate that, make that easy, have those invoices automatically issued through the platform, for example. At least with GitHub, it could be like the pull request is ready, something like that. It's just verified and money sent out. I did have a, a quick question. 
is it only EOS or would you be able to offer other tokens for bounties like such as USDT, you know, EFX, uh, Box? Yeah, the the idea is any basically pretty much any of the EOS based tokens, and hopefully uh, at at some point any antelope based tokens that leverage IBC once we have the IBC running. Yeah, initially launching will most likely just just EOS itself just to reduce the complexity, but uh, it, it definitely um, multi token is sort of the uh, is on the roadmap for sure. Yeah, definitely the big one. USDT for sure, EOS. And uh, but yeah, there's technically the the real complexity is as complicating the UI with too many token options. There be a process for kind of I guess endorsed, I guess tokens. I guess not endorsed, more like just uh, a filter. That's the tokens have to pass. Yeah, I would yeah it would be up to us as the Pomelo team to integrate, you know, decide which tokens we integrate into the platform, and you know, that would sort of be the, the filter. Hey, Daniel, you, uh, hi, guys. Uh, you mentioned that there will be like a 72-hour period for the bounties. Um, I'm wondering, maybe, maybe they can work also like Fiverr, like different bounties have different delivery uh, schedules and then maybe you can trigger some kind of a revision which extends kind of the deadline is that a maybe like well, a the, that 72 hours to clarify the 72 hours isn't for the work to be completed 72 hours is how much time the funder has to take action if they want to prevent the funds from being released after the work has been signaled as being completed so uh -huh. the, okay. the okay. hunter can take as much time as they need to complete the work and mm -hmm. then they'll you know they'll They'll press a button in the Pomelo UI to say, okay, I'm done. The funder will get a notification, and the funder mm -hmm. has now 72 hours to either they can release the funds earlier than 72 mm -hmm. hours and say, yep, looks good. Go ahead, release it right away. Or they can say, nope, go back to the drawing board, and it will prevent it from being released. And is there like a, some kind of a delivery URL or file format that the hunter needs to kind of submit to, to say, yeah, here it is, or, or is it just going to be him declaring the work is done? Yeah, it's going to be very flexible. It's uh, all managed through GitHub in that sense. So, you know, as a bounty mm -hmm. funder, you need to link to a GitHub issue. And, and right. you know, it's up to you as the funder to specify any requirements that you have, like, I you know, make sure you deliver it as a PDF or... Mm -hmm. such and such and mm -hmm. then you know that can all be submitted directly into the github issue or however the however the funder you know requests it uh we, we're not putting you know so you know, send me an email with the deliverables or um it, it's it's meant to be really flexible in that regard and really all that the bounties platform is serving is, is that discoverability escrow reputation elements and all the work can be done in the platform of choice of, of the funder and hunter. Well, it, it sounds great. Uh, I'm looking forward to checking that out. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're excited. Thank you. All right. Stephanie at the jet, but um, if we want to end it here, we can.
Let's yeah, uh, let's go. Any, any other quick? Go for it. Let's do this. From mm-hmm. Um, I just curious. The uh, bounty hunter. That's a competitive process. A competitive role, correct? So, like, you can have two, two or more developers working on the same bounty. Yeah, in the current so. design, you can only have one working on it. So you can have multiple funders apply to complete the bounty. And I, so what the, what the way this works is, you know, press the button saying, I want to complete this bounty. You leave a little message. Here's why I think I'm the best person for this job. The funder gets a notification every time somebody tries to complete the bounty. And then the funder just approves one bounty hunter. So you, you go through the, you know, maybe I got five different people applying to complete this bounty. I only approve one of them. And it's only at that point that I approve it that the hunter is signaled to start doing the work. See, so you you have a competitive role before any work is done. That's right. Yeah, it's a competitive, a competitive application process. Uh, so yeah, to, to Aaron's point, it's kind of like a job... Uh, a drop point, a, a task board where you're, yeah, you're hiring people to complete tasks before they actually complete the task. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the question. Anybody else want to keep it going? If not, let's end it with a go use. I'll just give a shout out in the meantime. I see some of the Pomelo team on here. Um, Aiden, Andrew, Denny. Who else? We've got, we've got folks from the Dot Gems team. So great place to be having this conversation because our, you know, our, our Pomelo team is part of the EOS community. They're here. They're listening. Uh, so this was an incredible, valuable conversation for me, and I'm sure also valuable to the rest of the Pomelo team here. You're watching. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you guys for the feedback and we'll make sure we keep engaging as you know, once we release it, get it in, in the hands of, of the community and we can start iterating and making it better and better. Thanks to your whole team as well. It's invaluable to this ecosystem. So kudos to all of you for working on it. Thank you, thank you. And I see Lewis calling me up. Thank you. Yeah, Lewis is here too. <laughs> That's what happens when Steph leaves early. Eh? There's no, no more soundboard sound effects. I was actually working on that today. See if I can throw some music up. I didn't know I was going to actually need it. <laughs> it's a completely different vibe, eh? It's yeah, weird. for sure. Well, we should just kick it off with a go eos. Go eos. I think so. Go eos. Go Warf, go Eden, go Yield, go, go Grey Mass, Anchor, and everyone. Go, go. Shut up, gosh. <laughs>